Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations, and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julie Ann Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont Mystery Series, Cupcake Enthusiast and Part-Time Children's Literacy Wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, web designer and creative dance teacher who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens. Hi, Julie. Hey, Pamela. It is our seventh episode. Hey. I'm sure there should be some music playing, but yeah. <laughs> I don't really know how to do that. Can you sing? I can actually sing, but yeah. This is... I need preparation time. <laughs> this is not a podcast for that. No, it is not. <laughs> So I guess we'll dive in because, you know, we love to talk about middle grade books. So that's mm-hmm. what we should probably do. So Indeed. tell us, Pamela, what is the title of today's book? Ah, today I'm reviewing The House with a Clock in Its Walls by John Bellairs. Oh, and this was written a long, long time ago. Yes, it was. Yes. Well, would you share the jacket blurb with us? <laughs> sure thing. When Lewis Barnevelt, an orphan, comes to stay with his Uncle Jonathan, he expects to meet an ordinary person, but he is wrong. Uncle Jonathan and his next-door neighbour, Mrs Zimmerman, are both witches. Lewis is thrilled. At first, watching magic is enough. Then Lewis experiments with magic himself and unknowingly resurrects the former owner of the house, a woman named Serena Izard. It seems that Serena and her husband built a timepiece into the walls, a clock that could obliterate humankind. And only the Barnabouts can stop it. Oh, wow. And obviously this is a a movie. Yes, yes. I think this is why the book was re-released because the movie was um, out late last year, 2018, yeah. And, like, it was originally written in, like, something like, oh, something ridiculously long ago. Uh, Oh, it was 1973, yeah. Oh, 73. Oh, not so ridiculous. Well, I mean, Uh, the author was, he was in his... I think he was in his 40s when he wrote it in 1973. So it feels like yeah. it. And it was set in the 50s. So, yeah. Wow. So I guess is he still alive, the author? No. Uh, I did my research on this. I think he died in the late 90s. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So. so what would you class this genre as? Um, is gothic mystery magical realism a genre? Because if so. Well, it is now. <laughs> it is now. Yep. That would be it. <laughs> Oh, and what's the estimated word count? It, it hits that sweet spot. It's around 40,000 words. Wow. I, for, some, for some reason I thought this would be a much longer book, but there you go. No, it's, it's, quite, yeah, it's quite a good length. So what drew you to this book? Well, as we mentioned, the movie of this book was released a few months ago and um, then I saw it on the shelf in my local library, so I decided to nab it for myself. And then I uh, brought it home and then my eight-year-old son saw it and he was excited and asked me to read it to him because it had been recommended in his favourite magazine, which is mostly about video games. And I just thought, wow, that's a great wow. way to get boys to want to read books, right? Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that so is the best story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was thrilled. I was like, yes, definitely I'll read it to you. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about it. 
Yeah, this this book is mysterious from the very beginning, but it's it's also character driven. There's less magic than you might expect, and the mystery grows bit by bit as Lewis digs deeper and deeper into Uncle Jonathan's world. The inciting point is when Lewis almost by accident raises a witch from the dead, uh, the Selena Izard, and a witch whose husband is behind the the clock in the walls. He he actually built it, and he was hell bent, pardon the pun, on <laughs> um, again, on throwing the world back into the beginning of time, basically. Um, wow. Lewis is too scared to tell his uncle about what he's done, but he doesn't have to. The clock in the walls lets them know that something has changed, as does the arrival of a mysterious neighbour across the street. Mm. I mean, I must admit, I saw the um, short for this movie and then I learned that it was a book and, you know, it was one of those, oh, my goodness, it was a book. <laughs> you know, mm. well, therefore I have to read the book. Before I see the movie, book because first. otherwise I'm going to be just totally ruined. Yep, always book first. I, my son even knows that now, <laughs> and he he'll quite start so, to tell you the book is always better than the movie. So yeah. yeah. So overall enjoyment. Well, you know, as I said, I read this to my eight year old, and he's he's a very sensitive boy. Yeah. So all the while I'm checking, he wasn't too scared, but he was enjoying it and kept wanting more, and I was enjoying um, reading it as well. And you know, as I mentioned, it was written in 1973. Uh, when John Bayless was in his 40s and it was set in I've got here 1948 Michigan but I think the movie is set a little later right um, but anyway in the book there are lots of references to objects and architecture and things that have gone out of common use so wow. I actually had to look up a few of them in the dictionary so I could explain them to my son oh, interesting. how funny <laughs> <laughs> but you know and my, my Cap is pretty big, so yeah. Yes, I was gonna funny. say, like, if it's stumped Pamela, then that it's that's pretty <laughs> significant. Yeah, you know, and the other thing is, you, you can have a vague understanding, but when you're going to explain it to an eight-year-old, you kind of need to know what you're talking about as well. Yeah, but um, yeah, there were some things in there. I was like, what? I've never heard that before. But you know, it, <laughs> it didn't detract from the story. Um, what did disappoint a little was the climax, or rather, the anticlimax. Yeah, I, yeah. I've been fearing all the way through that it might be a little bit overly dramatic or scary for my son. And yeah, we've just finished reading The Hobbit for the second time, and he he loves it, but he's he's quite sensitive. Yeah. Um, but even he got when we got to the end said, "Is that it?" Mm. So you know, I, well, I didn't love it as much at the end as I thought I would, but um, he did, and I wouldn't steer people away from it. And he he even declared that it was one of his favorite books from the year, and he's read you know, Harry Potter and The Hobbit. Yeah. You know, so he, he really loved it. And since then we've we've watched the movie and he loved the movie as well. And, you know, the movie is quite different from the book. It's obviously it's got a bigger climax. Yeah. Um, which, you know, you have to do with a movie. And, but there are, and there are some scarier scenes, but there are some sort of more light comic relief scenes as well in, in the movie. Um, but, yeah, he loved the movie too. So, well, this really intrigues me because I now I'm dying to see how he finished it because, you know, if you said it's an anti-climax, would, I'm just mm. wondering whether I would, would sort of agree. Yeah, well, well, you know, like I said, when my son said, you know, is that it? I was kind of like, yeah, well, if you're yeah. saying it, then it must be, you know, and I think because it was building and building and building for so long and it was such so mysterious and, you know, I was a little worried that it might get too scary. It, it, yeah. It's kind of a, almost a thriller for kids as well. So, or, you know, even sort of into that sort of goosebumps kid horror, you know. Oh, yeah. Genre. So, you know. And I, was, I think um, obviously it was written in the 70s and, you know, that, that it was it's a very mm. different age that we're writing for now. True. And I think publishers are definitely 
you know, not necessarily censoring, but they're certainly um, expecting endings to to be a certain way now. Yeah, like, yeah, true. Yeah. It was, you know, and you can tell it's written for a, a different time, but it did hold up. Apart from those words that I didn't quite get, it did hold up pretty well. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I, I did a I did a wrap up review for my blog um, at the end of two thousand and eighteen, and asked both kids their favourite books for the year of that were published in two thousand and eighteen, and. This was one of my eight-year-old's favourites, so... There you go. You, know, you just never know. Yeah. So, you know, and I think I've mentioned before, it's always interesting to see, you know, to compare our opinions of a book with kids' opinions oh, of a book as well. Absolutely. So do you think the reluctant readers would enjoy this or is this for more confident readers? Uh, I think it's one for more confident readers. Anyone who loves supernatural, horror, dark mystery, you know, and I'd say generally eight or nine upwards. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that brings us to my book review, I guess. Yay. So what are we hearing from you about today? Uh, today I'm going to share Bright Storm by Vashti Hardy, um, which was published in 2018 by Scholastic. Mm-hmm. And can you share the jacket blurb with us? Yes. Yeah, so Arthur and Morty Brightstorm are devastated by the news that their father, a daring explorer, has died in a failed attempt to reach South Polaris. But a mysterious clue leads the twins to question the story they've been told. To find the truth, they must undertake the journey of a lifetime. Oh, this sounds a bit different for you. Well, I would class this genre as middle grade steampunk. Okay. Which actually made me pee pants excited because (laughs) I love steampunk and the fact that it's not often done in middle grade. So I guess if listeners are scratching their head about what on earth steampunk is, then have no fear. The mavens have Googled it for you. Mm -hmm. So from Wikipedia, steampunk is a subgenre of science fiction or science fantasy that incorporates technology and aesthetic designs inspired by 19th century industrial steam-powered machinery. Ah, you're right. You don't really see that much <laughs> in children's books, do Just you? in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, so, and so how does this rate on Julie's length scale? Oh, this one was well over the 50,000, uh-huh. but I'm going to give them points for steampunk because they have to build you know, an entirely new world. Yes, yeah. So, and I was engrossed in the story and it did not feel like a long book at all. Okay. So what drew you to this book? Obviously the steampunk played a part. In the tradition of a truly predictable maven that I am, the cover oh. absolutely <laughs> drew me in. Oh. Now I know you are wondering if a book will ever get a look in for me if it has a bad cover. And the answer is sadly no. I just don't have enough reading time to be convinced by a book to keep reading. So if the cover doesn't draw me in and the jacket blurb, you know, is not inviting, I would happily move on to the next book with a stunning cover. So the moral of the story is, folks, covers do matter, no matter what you are told in the publishing world. Mm. I, I Look, I agree. I don't generally tend to judge a book by its cover, but my kids do. So yes, it does yes. and I do consider myself sort of like a nine-year-old. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I place myself alongside your children's tastes. <laughs> so yeah. So can you tell us more about the book? 
Yes. So twins Arthur and Morty have been sent to live with a preposterous couple after their father dies on an explorer mission. They are, of course, treated terribly and their father's name has been sullied. Arthur has an artificial arm crafted by none other than his very clever and engineering-obsessed sister. The mission their father died on was actually a competition and the prize money is still up for grabs. Arthur and Morty manage to escape their urban prison and join forces with Harriet Culpepper and her motley crew to stake their claim on the prize. Steaming towards South Polaris in their home-built airship, Arthur and Morty will face more than just danger on their journey. They will have to face the truth about their family. Wow, it sounds really intriguing. Oh, yes. And so you enjoyed this book, obviously. Oh, I would have to say loved this book. Mm. Potentially one of my favouritest books of 2018. Yeah. So middle grade steampunk, it's something that I have actually tried to tackle in my own writing. So when I saw this, I simply had to have it. And I was not disappointed and I was literally studying every nook and cranny of this book as I went. There were some unique concepts. The steampunk setting was done wonderfully. It had very much a lemony snicket feeling um, similar to the series of of unfortunate events books. But it was unique enough for me to recognise that they may have been one of the author's influences but it didn't damage the enjoyment of the story. You know how sometimes you read a book and you go, oh, Harry Potter, take mm. two. Mm, um, yep. Yeah, mm. it, I did not at all feel like that with this book. I felt like yeah. she was unique enough, but also you could tell she loved um, Lemony Snicket. Right. So I will note that the death of the twins' father was handled well but it had me sobbing into my pillow. I could not put this book down even after, I I mean, I think I even left for work early on a Saturday morning so I could finish the book in the quiet before the chaos arrived for the day. (laughs) I mean, that's how much I loved this book. Oh, wow. Well, sorry, who other than the Julie Grassos of the world would would love this book? So because of the word count and the themes, this would most most likely suit confident readers age 9 to 12. Right. And for more confident readers. Yeah, look, this is definitely yeah. confident readers, like who yeah. may have enjoyed the Lemony Snicket series perhaps. Okay. Um, and, look, I have a couple of um, steampunk books in middle grade, but they are really few and far between. And it, it's definitely sort of a niche genre, which is really hard to pull off. But this was well worth the reading. And I think there is a second book planned, which I will be pre-ordering and snaffling up the moment (laughs) it hits the bookshop. So, yeah, I love this book. Mm. So you don't only love short books. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I think I have to to usurp my own rules occasionally, surely. Well, I think I can say the same with, with fantasy. I love a really good long fantasy book if it's done well. And the thing is with steampunk and with fantasy is it does take time to sit up the world, yes. do the world building. So you've got it to does. Yeah. 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 So 10 just... points for Vashti Hardy. 
Right. And that is um, the final episode in our first series of Middle Grade Mavens. Woohoo! Woohoo! We made it. We made it. So we're very excited. And yeah, I hope you join us for series two. See you then. Bye. Thanks so much for coming along for the ride at Middle Grade Mavens. This concludes our first season, but have no fear, dear listeners. The Mavens will be back in full swing next week for season two. Stay tuned for episode eight, where Pamela reviews How to Win a Nobel Prize by Barry Marshall and Lorna Hendry. And Julie reviews Murder Most Unladylike by Robin Stevens. But wait, there's more. Pamela sneaks an extra review, which you will just have to listen in to find out the details. If you'd like to know more about the Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, drop by julieangrassobooks.com and to find Pamela, stop by net. 